Hi, I'm Gianna Volpe, and thank you for listening to The Heart of the East End on 88.3 WLIWFM, the show where we get to the heart of any matter at hand with folks from all walks of life on Long Island's only local NPR radio station. We stream online at WLIW.org radio and welcome your comments, questions, and collaborations of all kinds on The Heart of the East End. Live from the WLIWFM studio in Southampton, New York, on November 15th, 2022, I'm Gianna Volpe on Long Island's only local NPR radio station. A majority of New York school professionals and others surveyed by the state favor altering the use of regents' exams or eliminating them entirely, according to a report released yesterday by education authorities. John Hildebrand reports on Newsday.com that the surveys, which are part of a sweeping effort by state education officials to revamp high school graduation requirements, drew responses by, by uh, from more than 2,600 school administrators, teachers, parents, and others statewide. Respondents participated either in regional conferences or online, and 11% were Long Islanders. Survey questions dealt with such issues as the knowledge and skills that students require before they graduate and the type of course requirements or exams needed to ensure that students are prepared for college, careers, and civic engagement. One common and controversial response revolved around the use of regents' exams, which have been diploma requirements for more than 140 years. Many participants also commented they would prefer performance-based assessments, for example, PowerPoint presentations or research projects by students, rather than paper and pencil tests. The report quoted one respondent who wasn't named as saying regents' exams are stressful and impossible for many students and not an indication of mastery of material. Some testing experts have noted, on the other hand, that results from performance-based exercises are difficult to score uniformly from student to student and school to school. The 161-page report released yesterday entitled Graduation Requirements and Measures was prepared for the state of New York's education department and the regents by a regional center led by WestEd, a San Francisco-based research agency. In September, education officials named a 64-member panel, including school superintendents, teachers, and others, to advise on the diploma project, which is shaping up as the biggest transformation of graduation standards in a quarter century. The panel is supposed to turn in a report with recommendations by the summer of 2024, followed by final action on the part of the 17-member Regents Board. The Regents, though they set much of the state's education policy, faces limits in terms of graduation standards. Federal law requires that all high school students take exams in English, math, and science, so some form of standardized testing most likely will remain in place. However, the Regents could strip Regents' exams of their status as diploma requirements if they choose to take that route. Currently, students must pass four of five of the exams in order to graduate. Tension over the issue of exams was evident at Monday's meeting of the State of State's Board of Regents in Albany in response. New York State Education Commissioner Betty A. Rosa, a former regent herself, urged board members to keep an open mind and consider the opinions of survey respondents, who included not only adults but also students. These are the voices of New York State, Rosa said. 
In other news, home heating oil prices topped $6 a gallon on Long Island last week. Just as cooler fall weather arrived and the winter heating season looms, Mark Harrington reports on Newsday.com that the average price for a gallon of heating oil on Long Island hit $6.07 a gallon for the week ending November 7th, the highest the price has been since May when volatile energy markets sent the price soaring to $6.46 a gallon, according to state figures. The November 7 price was a 61% jump from a year ago and a $0.07 increase in just a week. Long Island heating prices had stabilized under $6 since May, falling to as low as $4.94 in September. Long Islanders aren't the only ones paying those high prices across the upstate region. Prices last week rose as high as $6.18 a gallon in the Upper Hudson region, and the statewide figure was $6.04, a 68% jump from a year ago. Lawrence Goldstein, director of the Energy Policy Research Foundation and a member of the National Petroleum Council, said heating oil customers should buckle up for more increases. Quote, obviously, a lot depends on the weather, he said, but prices through the winter are still going to be higher than their already high levels. The reason, uh, Goldstein said, it's because inventories are 20 to 25 percent of what they normally are, primarily across the Northeast, and refining capacity is constrained. And finally, Peconic Bay Medical Center in Riverhead is embarking on a 20 million dollar expansion of its emergency department. Denise Cibaletti reports on RiverheadLocal.com that PBMC submitted an application to the New York State Department of Health last month seeking approvals for the expansion, which will provide nine additional treatment rooms and a level two trauma room with direct access to a new CT scanner. The expansion will increase the department's space by almost 75 percent, adding 7,409 square feet to the existing 10,000-square-foot emergency department. The number of patients going to PBMC's emergency department for treatment continues to climb. It's expected to exceed 38,000 visits this year. Looking at the weather here in Southampton in honor of our first guest this morning, the new director at Parish Art Museum. Stay tuned for that. Joining us for the hot studio segment, underwritten by Peconic Landing at the bottom of the hour, looking like a partly sunny Tuesday with a high near 49 degrees, northeast wind, 5 to 9 miles per hour, rain tonight, low around 44 degrees, breezy with an east wind, 11 to 16 miles per hour, increasing to 7 to 22 miles per hour after midnight. Winds could gust as high as 34 miles per hour, so consider taking your flag in or something. Mine got totally shredded last year because I did not bring it in. Um, Right now, it's 36 degrees, and we've got the white edition of The Heart. I'm building an all-music white edition of The Heart of the East End. So if there is a song you love with white in the title, I want to hear from you. Give us a call at 631-591-7006. Let my voicemail know what what white track you love. We've got Dustin Tebbit, Cream, Jefferson Airplane, Kruangbin, and The Animals uh, in your immediate listening future. But starting with Dido, um, I don't know enough of her discography. Do enjoy her. 
was glad to have her kicking off the white edition this morning. Uh, white flag from the Life for Rent record of 2003. I'm Jenna Volpe. This is Dido and you, whoever you are out there, you are awesome. And you're listening to Long Island's only local NPR radio station, WLIWFM. Surrender. There will be no white flag above. 
flag above my door I'm in love and always will be Ooh, Already having a great time playing music for you from the WLIWFM studio Dido This is Dustin Tebbett Then we got some classics Cream and Jeff- Jefferson Airplane On the white edition of The Hearts What's your favorite white track? Let us know at 631-591-7006. Found a cluster in your eyes It's precaution It's precaution Show me reason I got ground I'll be ready with a hand on my heart. Your water, can you carry me now? Always running, but you're never running out. Your water, can you carry me now?
cream leading us to the bottom of the nine o'clock hour on Tuesday morning, a little after midnight if you're listening to the replay. And that means it's time for our hot studio segment underwritten by Peconic Landing. Very excited to welcome onto the program for the first time the new director of the Parish Art Museum, Monica Ramirez Montague. I wanted to make sure I got her on the line before I pronounced your last name. Good morning, Monica. Good morning. How are you? Very well. Very excited to have you on. Uh, Very psyched to talk about the parish. Very grateful. I know you guys are a new underwriter of ours, and we are very uh, excited to chat about what's going on. One of my favorite things about the parish that a lot of people don't know uh, are the different ways that you can get free admission to the parish. There's a bunch of different cross-sections of the community that uh, have free admission to the parish. So let's start by talking about that, if you don't mind. Of course. So we have free admission for all visitors 18 years and younger, all college students with an ID from their college. There's also free admission for anyone with a SNAP card uh, or SNAP recipients. We are also free to all veterans and active-duty military folks. We are free to any members of the Shinnecock Nation, as well as if you are a resident of the Southampton and Tuckahoe districts. That's crazy. So if you live in Southampton town or the, the it's the Tuckahoe School District, you can go to the Parish Art Museum whenever you want for free. That's awesome. Are you Right now, is Seeing Things in Things Mel Kendrick's uh, show still running? It is. It's a spectacular exhibition of sculptures made with wood that actually what the artist does in many cases for the sculpture is he kind of um, deconstructs pieces of wood and then reassembles them back into these very dynamic and enigmatic shapes that seem very animated. It's like um, they're ready to, you know, start moving, I think, in, right. their own, in their own way. Yes. It's a lot of fun. It's a gorgeous exhibition. You know, it's funny. I, I had a great conversation with Mel just a few weeks back, and I mentioned that to him. I said, I got Beetlejuice vibes, uh, you know, when, um, <laughs> when, you know, when, when Delia's are, uh, sculptures start to walk around. Uh, I, just like you're saying, I was imagining uh, them getting up and moving, and I thought it was just... So cool how he does he he wastes very little in the process uh, by sort of uh, reassembling and keeping this block of wood whole, even if it's uh, changed around. Uh, Monica, I'm I'm really interested. You're the new director over at the parish. I love to find yeah. out about people. So let's dive into your story a little bit. Uh, you know where where you come from and how you came to Parish Art Museum. Sure. I was born in Mexico City and I studied architecture, but I, my passion has always been modern and contemporary art. And so I went to Spain to study a master's and a PhD in the theory and history of architecture. But basically when we study architecture, we are keen on looking at what artists have been saying through the history of art, because artists are always the first ones to pinpoint the symptoms of an era. They're always the first ones to see, mm, this is what I see is happening today. Right. And so always are always at the foreground. And architecture takes some years to be able to, you know, um, deliver a built environment with a new language 
or responding to the conditions of a certain time wow. in the history of humankind. So I've always been looking at art, and it's been my passion. And after living in Spain, I moved to the United States. I was able to crash in the house of my twin sister, who was in New York at the time. And so I started having internships in different museums. And so I just started my um, curator of contemporary art career at the Aldrich Contemporary Art Museum in Connecticut. And then I went to the Guggenheim Museum for three years, where I did an exhibition of Iraqi-born architect Saha Hadid, contemporary architect, that has won the Pritzker Prize, which is kind of like the Nobel Prize uh, for architecture, let's say. And interestingly enough, the parish architects, the architectural firm Herzog and de Muron, are also awardees of the Pritzker Prize uh, in architecture. So it's been fantastic to be able to work in an architecturally relevant building, given that architecture is one of right. also my areas of interest. Right. And so I've worked in different museums in the United States, at the San Jose Museum of Art in Silicon Valley, at Tulane University's Newcomb Art Museum in Louisiana, New Orleans, at Michigan State University in East Lansing in Michigan. That is a building designed by Saha Hadid. And um, finally here, where I actually feel like coming right back home, where I started my my career as a curator, and uh, feeling very much at home and very excited about all the possibilities for the future that we have here at the parish, particularly with this benchmark and milestone that we have next year, which is our 125th <sighs> anniversary of an institution here in the East End, supporting and promoting and featuring the arts of this region. Right, right. I mean, parish was right here, right in uh, downtown of Southampton Village. My mouth is hung open, open because... What a fascinating person and so many different uh, places that I could go. I, I want to start by saying how fascinating to think about uh, architectural uh, or architecture as being this sort of um, really an anthropological um, element, you know, something that is born from uh, changes in culture and, and the ways in which we evolve as as people, as a species, that is so interesting. Second of all, you're a twin, and I always love yes. talking to twins because it's it's a uh, a uh, you know a part of the population that only other twins can really understand, right? What it's like to be Correct. a twin. And uh, are identical? Yes, it's, it's fascinating. You go through life, you know, with someone that understands exactly, you know, your feeling. And, you know, I, we, we just turned 51 this last year. And I was telling my sister, mm, you know, I have some back pain. Do you? And she's like, yeah, me too. So I was like, okay. <laughs> so it's age. <laughs> There's some things that it's good to have someone in the exact same stage of life so that you can do some check-ins. It's a lot of fun. It's 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 lucky. It's a beautiful. I think twinship is is one of the the most beautiful things because you always have someone else to sort of check in with uh, as you're you're going through this life experience. Second, third of all, uh, you have been everywhere. We are so lucky to have you at the parish and here on the East End. You mentioned that you started as a curator. Can you talk a little bit about uh, your time as a curator and then uh, now being the executive director there? Sure. I mean, I I started my career as a curator at the Aldridge Museum and then uh, was further le legitimized by the Guggenheim Museum. Got it. Okay, okay. 
And, um, you know, it's, uh, to me it's fascinating to be able to do studio visits with artists living and working today that, again, um, are, have the finger on the pulse of what's happening in the world today. And not only that, their, um, their impetus for being an artist is for actually further communicate, right, either to problematize it or to actually reveal those issues that we may have an inkling are happening, but they give it shape and form and metaphor and narrative. So it's it's just a, an incredible profession to have, and it's uplifting. And every time I get a little bogged down with all the administration we have to do surrounding institutions, you know, I always do a studio visit, and my my comfort and my inspiration in humankind and my admiration for what we as individuals, as humans, can contribute to the world is reignited every single time I do a visit with an artist and admire their commitment and their integrity to their practice. It's not easy being an artist. Um, And there you know, a lot of factors come into place for, for an artist to be able to have a successful career or not. And yet every single artist that's living and working today is just committed to their own project, to their vision, and to their their craft and their profession, and I find that incredibly inspiring, and I admire it. Um, so it's it's um, and I think that the move between being a curator and moving towards a more positions of leadership in institutions is it's a path that a lot of curators take, because at some point when you are organizing an exhibition, you actually. Uh, coordinate with every single department of the museum. Right. You coordinate with marketing, with education, with fundraising, with finances, with exhibition design, with a registrar, and so it's a more of a natural. Profe- it's more of a natural step to then start honing in those coordination skills towards oversight than perhaps other professions in the inside the museum world where they go more in depth within within the tasks and the goals for their individual departments i think i mean or at least yes. that was my no, experience it's, 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 from curatorial too it's it's organic growth and we are lucky uh you know because i was at first i was confused i thought maybe you were a curator at parish because you mentioned uh a feeling of coming home but it really is a full circle for your journey and you know we're lucky that uh this is the place that you are uh, before i let you go monica uh, I know you have sure. another exhibition opening on the 20th, so I just wanted to check in and find out uh, what exhibition that would be. Correct. And in that case, I'm actually a curator, so while I am the museum director, when the right opportunity comes or when I feel I can contribute through the curatorial field to the institution and the mission and vision of this institution, I kind of like take that on as well. And this is a case for an exhibition that we opened this Saturday, uh, on the family files of Kahlo, we will be looking at photos, documents, clinical files, uh, some some interpretation by her grandniece, Cristina Kahlo, who is an artist photographer and also the co-curator of this exhibition. And so we're looking, between Cristina and I, we developed this exhibition where we're looking at conditions that Frida Kahlo lived through and her series of health challenges to better understand her as a human and understand what drove her to paint and and do the art that she did. But we're looking more at like those, you know, the human part of Frida and moving her a little bit from that spectacularization of her image that we see today. She's more of an image than us really knowing what moved her to do the art and what this exhibition does is it it leaves very clear to the visitor. It brings a new understanding of 
actual Frida and her body and her chronic issues and her support system and how she shaped the history of art of the 20th century from her bed. And how yes. even being bedridden, she was able to fully contribute to life. So we are also engaging into challenging a narrative of ableism and looking at how, you know, diverse community of individuals in this world are fully able to contribute to, to life and to culture, as was Frida. So it's a very beautiful, a little bit sombering uh, exhibition. Yes. It op- on the 19th, we will have a talk with Christina Kahlo that is open to the public at noon. She will be here, and she will be in conversation with me, and she will be here to meet anyone that comes to come and greet her and ask her questions. And then we will, you know, go into the exhibition. There is a section in the exhibition where we are kind of replicating a Frida painting where she's bedridden and kind of like inspired in her creativity from her bed. And we are actually have a little bed for children to lay down on the bed. Do you have the the mirror? Do you have the mirror there? With a mirror on the awning of the bed so that children can experiment on doing a self-portrait or expanding their creativity, you know, through that position and understand that we can be creative under any circumstances and continue to contribute. And children will be encouraged to leave their self-portrait on the museum walls and do some other exercise, do some kind of like postcards for other children that may be suffering of chronic health issues like Rita was and send messages of support, which was part of the show, shows all those messages of support that she received from friends and family while she was going through 32 surgeries and spent a lot of time at home and in isolation and confinement. This is going to be so awesome. I I will see you there on the 19th. You know, you talk about organic growth. Uh, this is the perfect exhibition for you to be uh, to be really taking a strong curatorial hand in. Uh, having come from Mexico City, do you mind uh, speaking a little bit about what Frida Kahlo has meant to you as someone growing up loving art? Right. Well, needless to say, Frida is a tremendous inspiration, and Christina Kahlo and I discuss a lot our global fascination with Frida. And I think what we see in Frida is ultimately a woman that was incredibly brave to tell her story in her own terms and ups and downs because, you know, we we know very well those images of Frida all dressed up and kind of like performing this very interesting identity. We also have in this exhibition a lot of photos that Frida facilitated of her, you know, being a little bit more... um, less glamorous and in a hospital bed and mm-hmm. showing some physical pain that right. you can see in her face, you know. So so Frida documented her life in all instances and left it open, and through her art, of course, and let it open for us to be able to really identify with her journey, right? This was a woman that suffered chronic pain. Yes. She was also divorced. She was going through financial crises. She had a, she relied on an important support system. And a lot of us have gone through some of those ups and downs. And yet her, she is being very honest about this is her life and apologetically presenting herself to the world. Was that and Diego I think that's Rivera? What a lot of us admire about her. Yes. Was it Diego Rivera that she got divorced from? Yes, and then they got back again together. Oh, see, <laughs> so a lot of stuff. Trouble. The many sides of, of Frida Kahlo. I am just so excited about this exhibit. I'm sure you are as well. Uh, Monica, I can't thank you enough for your time. Monica Ramirez Montague is the new director at Parish Art Museum. 
Uh, she also curated the uh, Frida Kahlo exhibit that's opening this weekend. Uh, as she mentioned before, there's going to be a conversation between her and Christina Kahlo at noon on the 19th. I will see you there, Monica. Uh, sending the very best to you and all over at the parish. I'm Gianna Volpe. That was Monica Ramirez Montague. This is Jefferson Airplane. And you, whoever you are out there, you are awesome. And you just heard the hot studio segment underwritten by Peconic Landing right here on Long Island's only NPR radio station, WLIWFM.
Krongbin on WLIWFM. I'm going to hop over the animals, Lana Del Rey and the Yardbirds, to play a little Rivers and Robots. If I have time uh, at the end, I'll add those tracks back. Um, but moving forward, past White Houses, White Mustang, and White Summer to play White as Snow from Rivers and Robots 2014 record. All things now. We've got the Cadillac 3, George Jones, and Hart on deck. I'm Jenna Volpe, and you, whoever you are out there, you are awesome, and you're listening to the White Edition of The Heart. I'm brewing an all-music White Edition of The Heart of the East End, so if you have a track that has white in the title, uh, let us know by voicemail. It's 631-591-7006. Again, that's 631-591-7006. Let us know what white track you love. Uh, as a make an all-music edition of The Heart here on Long Island's only local NPR radio station, WLIWFM. So I cling to the lamp who has purchased me with his song. Stand in his righteousness, washed by his mercy and love. Though I fail a thousand times, Lord, your mercies are new every morning. So wash my heart clean, let my spirit. Steadfast and strong and All my sins lie Scarlet will be white As snow Though they're in line Crimson they will be As wool All my sins lie Scarlet will be white Snow, though they're in thy crib. 
Faster than a heat-seeking missile on a mission Faster than a bass to the hook when daddy's fishing Faster than a walnut rolls off a hen house Faster than a whiskey shot goes down, down south Ooh, I saw my Jones and Hart leading you into the NPR news break at the top of the hour in the local news update right here on Long Island's only NPR radio station, WLIWFM. Well, I asked my old pappy why he called his brew. White light 
instead of Mountain Dew. I took a little sip and right away I knew as my eyes bugged out and my face turned blue. Lightning started flashing, thunder started clashing. White lightning. Well, the team and team and revenue is too. Searching for a place where he made his proof. They were looking, trying to book him, but my path they kept on cooking. White lightning. Morning as he hit the ground. Mighty, mighty pleasing. Your pappy's corn's pleasing. White lightning. The G Men team and revenue is too. Searching for a place where he made his crew. They were looking, trying to book him, but my pappy kept on cooking. White lightning. With Long Island local news on November 15th, 2022, I'm Gianna Volpe on WLI Home heating oil prices topped $6 a gallon on Long Island last week, with $6.07 being the highest. The price has been since May when volatile energy markets sent the price soaring to $6.46 a gallon. Lawrence Goldstein, director of the Energy Policy Research Foundation and a member of the National Petroleum Council has, among others, called on the federal government to increase funding to programs such as the Federal Low-Income Home Energy Assistance Program, HEAP, which he noted had seen cuts of $4 billion in recent years. And it's not just heating oil customers who are paying higher November prices. PSEG Long Island announced November 1st that its power supply charge jumped nearly 3% to 13.8 
cents a kilowatt hour on a year-over-year basis. The November increase is a 21% jump from the 11.4 cents a kilowatt hour power supply charge for last November. PSEG spokesperson Elizabeth Flagler said despite the increase, this November's power supply charge reflected a decrease in the cost of natural gas compared with October. The news isn't all bad. National Grid, which supplies natural gas to more than 600,000 Long Island customers, reported its commodity price for most residential customers declined for the second month in a row to 73.4 cents a therm compared with a recent high of $1.08 in September. Natural gas prices have remained volatile throughout the year, but prices have fallen in recent months because of unusually warmer late fall weather and its impact on global markets. Customers who need help paying their electric bill can reach out to PSEG online or by phone at 800-490-0025. National Grid customers can reach the company's helpline at 800-930-5003 or online as well. Meanwhile, on the roads, Long Islanders are urged to take public transport instead of driving on the year's most gridlocked traffic days in the upcoming holiday season, the MTA said Sunday. Dan Dan Zhao and Matthew Che's report on Newsday.com that gridlock alert days are designated by New York City's Department of Transportation, which collects and analyzes traffic data from past years to determine the busiest and most congested days of the year, according to the agency's website. There's uh, 19 gridlock alert days, most around the holidays, Thanksgiving and Christmas, but also during the U.N. General Assembly. That includes tomorrow and Thursday, as well as November 22nd, 23rd, and 30th. For next month, the days are the 1st and 2nd of December, uh, December's 6 through 9, as well as 13 through 15. Designated days don't necessarily have the most traffic, but are characterized by higher overall activities such as vehicles, pedestrians, tourism, and special events, as well as slow speeds, according to DOT spokesperson Tomas Garita. Commuters can take advantage of discounted fares, according to the MTA, those traveling via LIRR, the Long Island Railroad, within New York City during off-peak hours can purchase a city ticket at a discounted rate. LIRR riders can also buy a 20-trip ticket, which offers a 20% discount off comparable 20-peak uh, one-way fares. The tickets are valid for 60 days, so two months. The alert is not universally popular. A, a garage trade association told the New York Times that on alert days, business goes down 30%. And last year, transit advocates said the alerts had done nothing to alleviate congestion and wanted them ended in favor of pop-up busways restricting uh, vehicle occupancy in the highly congested areas, discounts on transit fares and higher parking fees, as well as more metered parking and getting rid of widespread parking placards. And finally, a panel discussion on water quality. One of the most pressing issues for East End residents has been 
scheduled for Southampton this week. Lisa Finn reports on Patch.com that the League of Conservation Voters and the Village of Southampton have teamed up to organize the discussion, which will take place this coming Thursday evening, November 17th from 5 to 7 p.m. at the Southampton Arts Centre. That's 25 Job's Lane right here in Southampton. Quote, the audience will hear from experts on the importance of protecting our valuable water resources, what can be done to continue this work and how this effort will impact generations of Long Islanders, our organizers said. The event is also being planned with Rue Environmental Conservation and Management. Southampton Village Mayor Jesse Warren is scheduled to participate and to speak about ongoing initiatives. Again, that's right at SEC from 5 to 7 this Thursday evening, November 17th. Speaking of SAC, they are the underwriters of our next segment, which is the Tasty Tuesday segment. But for me, the tastiest thing in this world is books. If I could live on books, my gosh, I would. Looking at the weather in Riverhead in honor of our next guest, Jocelyn Kaleta of the brand new A Book Place bookshop right in downtown Riverhead. Oh, did you not? Pull up the weather, G. You know, like I, I, I am making sure it's all in the right place. I got to make sure that I got the guest's name. All right. It's looking like a partly sunny Tuesday with a high near 48 degrees. Northeast wind around 7 miles per hour tonight. Rain, mainly after 8 p.m. tonight. So unless you're going to be out a little bit later, probably no uh, real worry for an umbrella, but always good to have it. On hand, low around 42 degrees, east wind, 8 to 18 miles per hour, gusts as high as 28 miles per hour. If you listen to the show, you know what I'm going to say. Please secure the items in your yard. We don't want any accidents. Right now, it's 45 degrees, and as I mentioned, I'm working on an all-music white edition of The Heart. That means that uh, white is in the name of the track. We do have a black edition of The Heart that is already filed. If you have a white track you love let us know about it love to hear from the listeners 631-591-7006 we went into the NPR news break with a little heart we're leading you out with Dolly Parton we've got Charlie XCX Uh, isn't that like that's got to be Roman numerals right C is 100 right so XC is like 90 I'm lost I'm lost because then she adds another X. So wouldn't that just be 100 again? All right. If you know, if you understand this artist's name, uh, you can also call me, 631-591-7006. I am going to play it, though. We do play music from all decades and genres. We've got Marty Robbins and Fred Astaire uh, starting off with Dolly, though. All right, here on Long Island's only local NPR radio station, it's White Limousine on WLIWFM. Stars, a heart full of dreams, Daisy May in Hollywood. Strutting down the boulevard, the walkway of the stars, with a vision of her name in lights, reflecting off the cars and dreaming of a white limousine. She wants to have a white limousine. Mm-hmm. 
sitting here just laughing at myself thinking that it's Charlie and it's supposed it's supposed to like XCX was supposed to uh, represent a Roman numeral Roman numeral and then working out that it's like 90 that becomes 100 again it's XCX which is probably like excess right maybe something with sex but I think it's Charlie excess which makes sense this track is called white Mercedes it's from Charlie's self-titled record of 2019 here on WLIWFM NPR Radio, the heart of the East End. Collect your souvenirs, you know it's so hard to admit it But the only good inside of me is you 
forgiven My friends think you're the best from the beginning Your friends said it wouldn't last but this connection It's something they don't say, you know it's so hard to admit it But the best time part of me was always you long ago 
to the prom with me you'd go Now you change your mind it seems Someone else will hold my dreams a white sport coat and a pink carnation Getting ready for our tasty Tuesday conversation with a book places Jocelyn Kaleta here in the WLIWFM Studio 51, right between Marty Robbins and Fred Astaire. I got my copy of Kara Hoblin's uh, East End A to Z, which I took a uh, page out of Tila Troja's book and got a copy for Harmony at a book place because I saw that it was in stock there um, and I've been wanting to get it uh, for the baby, uh, especially uh, finding out that, you know, a, a big corporate bookstore opened up at the same time as a local independent shop. Uh, so I made my decision there. I'm Jenna Volpe. This is Fred Astaire. We've got Billy Idol on deck, um, Rocky uh, Vadalato. Jason Isbell in the 400 unit. We'll see how much we have time for. I am planning a double rock block kind of outro to the white edition of The Heart with parts one and two or the two tracks, White Privilege and White Privilege 2, made several years apart, but still um, very important. It's in it's intended to inspire introspection Um conversation, and uh, just general thoughtfulness. I'm Gianna Volpe. This is Fred Astaire. And you, whoever you are out there, you are awesome. And you're listening to Long Island's only local NPR radio station, the weekday morning and midnight show, The Heart of the East End, featuring music from all decades and genres, and interviews from folks from all walks of life, all because of you, the listener supporter of Long Island's only local NPR radio station, WLIWFM. Dancing in my tail 
putting down my top hat, mussing up my white tie, dancing in my tails, putting down my top hat, mussing up my white tie, dancing in my tails, putting down my top hat, mussing up my white tie, dancing in my tails, putting down my top hat, mussing up my white tie, dancing in my tails. All right, I was going to seriously cue up a Billy Idol, but instead. A little Rocky Vadolato. White Daisy Passing on WLIWFM. favorite breakup tracks of all time opposite of breakup tracks little white wedding it's billy idol here it is on wliwfm the white edition of the heart do you have a white track you love let us know 631-591-7006 leave us a voicemail
I'm actually queuing up White Lines by Duran Duran, which Paula Hank wisely uh, requested for the White Edition for the future all-music White Edition of the Heart here on WLIWFM. Uh, we couldn't get Jocelyn on the line. Wires got crossed. It happens sometimes. We'll have her on with us. So standing in 
for Jocelyn is none other than Mark Hannon, a fellow Rotarian right here in Southampton Town. Good morning, Mark. Good morning, Tiana. How are you? I've been missing you guys. I know, I know, and we miss you too, but it's great to hear your voice. I, I told you I just hopped in the car and heard you playing some tunes and heard your voice, and I was like, oh, I got to call her and say hello. I'm so. so glad you did. You know, I was, um, we had on the newest uh, director over at Parish Art Museum, and I asked if she would mm-hmm. be a program for us at some point. They've got a really cool Frida Kahlo exhibit that's like interactive, that gets kids involved. And she said she was speaking uh, to Dr. Dino over at uh, uh, Southampton Schools. So I said, you know, you got to come and be a program for us sometime. Yeah, love the Parish Art Museum. And, uh, you know, Dr. Dino is always a source of connections and putting people in touch with one another. And so uh, you're in touch with some good people. So yes. Good to hear. Hey, speaking of which... Um, did how did the Thanksgiving uh, food drive go? Did it ha- happen, or is it happening oh, the, this week? The, the food drive was was awesome. Um, Rob Gill, who uh, who's in Rotary with us, who uh, is the owner of uh, the Carpet Man, um, he put together along with Molly Bishop from Heart of the Hamptons yes. uh, food supplies, and then we had the different Rotary chapters the high school and the middle school, they came over to the Southampton Fire Department. They pulled the trucks out and let us get all the tables set up. And then those students kind of, uh, they helped assemble the boxes as well as the kids from the elementary school. They decorated the boxes. And then the kids grabbed the boxes and just went right down the line, stuffed the boxes, and then lickety-split, like within maybe half hour, 45 minutes, all the boxes were packed. They were on a truck. We brought them over to Heart of the Hamptons, and they will be picked up by families that uh, need a little holiday cheer during Thanksgiving. So it was a great, great event. I know. I was so sad I couldn't join you guys because I was. I knew I would be on the air uh, that morning. Uh, how how much food would you say that uh, was packed up during the drive? I think it was somewhere around 150 to 200 boxes that were put together. Again, it was several pallets. We filled up the truck and uh, brought it over to uh, to Heart of the Hamptons, which is right there on Hill Street, right next to Sacred Heart Church. And, um, you know, everybody was just in great spirits. And then uh, we invited the high school kids. The middle school kids had to get back to school, but we invited the high school kids upstairs at the firehouse, and we all sat around had lunch together so it's just uh, just a tremendous event and a way to kind of kick off the holiday season so hey, speak- really special and we missed you Gianna I, we missed I you. know I always miss you guys so so it and you know it's a uh, new parent and I <laughs> I've had my hands a bit more full than usual <laughs> yep uh, I'm curious because speaking of heart of the Hamptons which we love obviously here as a Rotarian and and uh, as heart of the East End uh I have always wanted to do the Polar Plunge. Do you think that our club might want to put together a team? Oh, have you ever done that, Gianna? That is a good. <laughs> that is a good question. We might have to have people sign a medical release or something. 
Um, <laughs> you know, I think yeah. we would probably get a number of our members who would go out there and volunteer and hold towels, but I don't know. You know, maybe our, our former president. Maybe Dermot, Dermot right? <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, he's one of those people he's that like I a think marathon he would be runner up for the type. Yeah, right. Maybe yeah, just maybe exactly. just me and, there's, me and there's Dermot. There's a few other there. hearty souls, but yeah. Uh, well, yeah, I, I'd do it. I, I would. Uh, I would gladly stand out there and hold a towel. I, you know, I have. Uh, I never did the polar plunge. My wife did it when we lived in the Chicago area. But um, you know, I've always found a, a fairly valid excuse not to go. But I, love uh, I would make <laughs> well, an exception and try I, it. I appreciate your honesty. Before I let you go, Mark. Tell me a little bit about you, about about who you are, um, you know, how you came to the, you know, your your history, um, your past to what well, brought I, you to the Mark Cannon of today. I was born on Long Island uh, in Lynbrook, which is South Shore, Nassau County. And uh, I worked for the government, uh, for the DEA, Drug Enforcement Administration. I did that for a total of 14 years. But... Thank you. In 1992, moved out to the Midwest, and uh, my wife and I, Kathy, started a family in uh, in Wheaton, Illinois, which is west of Chicago. And then in 2016, we bought a house, uh, thinking that we might someday want to retire out to the Southampton area. And in 2017, I applied for a job, which happened to be in the Southampton Press, in the Help Wanted, just on a kind of a whim, like. I didn't know know, that. I might be able to get this job. Yeah. And um, was able to become director of school safety. I had worked in a high school in the Midwest after I retired from the federal government and uh, did that for uh, for a couple of years, then worked as a student supervisor in the high school. And uh, now I'm fully retired. I work part time just in security. And um that's it. Just love being in, you know, the eastern end of Long Island, especially the South Shore. Just love the, the tranquility this time of year. And the summers are also a lot of fun. And uh, that's how I ended up here. And I got involved in Rotary as well. And that's how I was fortunate to meet you and all the other Rotarians. I love this. We did our own little Meet the Rotarian right here on WLIWFM. <laughs> An honor, a pleasure, as always. Mark Hannon, I'll let you go. Play Paula Hanks, uh, request a little Duran Duran, and uh, I'll lead the folks into the NPR news break with a uh, a double play of Macklemore um, in honor. As always, Mark, we'll see you soon. I'm Gianna Volpe. This is Duran Duran, and you, whoever you are out there, you are awesome. And you're listening to Long Island's only local NPR radio station, WLIWFM.
sugar, twice as good as salt. And if you get hooked, baby, it's nobody else's fault. So don't do it. Yes! A little Duran Duran for you Duran fans out there. I'm looking at you, Paula Hank. We've got a double uh, rock block of Macklemore. Again, this is going to be a bit polarizing, but it's important stuff. So two tracks, White Privilege and White Privilege 2 from Macklemore's 2005 record, The Language of My World and the Unruly, This Unruly Mess I've made to lead you into the NPR news break at the top of the hour in the end of this practice white edition of The Heart. Again, if you have a track you love and you want to hear it on the all music edition, go to 631-591-7006. Leave us a voicemail. Big, big thank you to both of my guests this morning. Uh, That would be Monica Ramirez Montague and Mark Hannon, this show brought to you by the letter S, as well as our underwriters, Peconic Landing and Southampton Arts Center. This is Macklemore, the second one, Macklemore and Ryan Lewis with Jamila Woods. And you, whoever you are out there, you are awesome. And you're listening to WLIWFM. But I got to turn off Duran Duran. <laughs> so funny. I see so many people lost who really try to pretend But am I just another white boy who's caught on to the trend? When I take a step to the mic, is hip-hop closer to the end? Cause when I go to shows, the majority have white skin They marketed the windmill, the air flare and head spin And white rappers' albums really get the most spins The face of hip-hop has changed a lot since Eminem And if he's taking away black artist profits, I look just like him Claim the culture that wasn't mine, the way of the American Hip-hop is gentrified and where will all the people live? It's like the Central District Beacon Hill to the South End Being pushed further away because of what white people did Now, where's my place in a music that's been taken by my race? Cultural appropriated by the white face And we don't want to admit that this is existence Still scared to acknowledge the benefits of our white privilege Cause it's human nature to want to be part of something different Especially when your ancestors are European Christians And most whites don't want to acknowledge this is occurring Cause we got the best deal, the music without the burden Of being black in a system that really wants you to rock Cause all you need is a program and you can go and make hip-hop And we hate the mainstream Cause we're the ones that took it Now we listen to Aesop Rock and wear t-shirts that say Brooklyn But it's not about black and white, right? I mean, good music is good music regardless of what you look like. But when you don't give them props, isn't that selfish? That's like saying rock was actually started by Elvis. So where does this leave me? I feel like I pay dues, but I'll always be a white MC. I give everything I have when I write a rhyme. 
but that doesn't change the fact that this culture is not mine. But I'm gonna be me, so please be who you are. This is something that's effortless and it shouldn't be hard. I said I'm gonna be me, so please be who you are. But we still own 40 acres, now we stolen their 16 bars. Hip hop started off in a block that I've never been to. To counteract the struggle that I've never even been through. If I think I understand, it's because I flow too. That means I'm not keeping it true. Nope. Hip hop started off on a block that I've never been to. To counteract a struggle that I've never even been through. If I think I understand just because I float too, that means I'm not keeping it true. I'm not keeping now, it I don't true. rap about guns, so they label me cautious. But I don't rap about guns because I wasn't forced into the project. See, I was put in a position where I could choose my options. Blessed with the privilege that my parents could send me to college. Now, who's going to shows? The kids in the block starving? Or the white people with dough that can relate to my content? Marketed the music and now adapted to the lifestyle. What happened in jazz and rock and roll is happening right now. Where's my place in the music that's been taken by the media? With white corporations controlling what they're feeding you. I brought up Aesop Rock, but I'm not even dissing, dude. We love hip hop, and what do you think the Caucasians are listening to? And I speak freely when I write this. If a black MC examine race, there goes half their fan base. White kids, and this is so true. And we didn't even have to fight the system. We just went and picked up the microphone, too. And we got good at it, so we should be rapping, but only supporting them is like burning Jimmy and buying Clapton. Now, Clapton's incredible, but no Jimmy, no foundation. So here comes history and the cultural appropriation. White kids with do-rags trying to practice their accents from the suburbs to the upper class, mastering a language. But hip-hop's not just memorizing words. It's rooted in authenticity, something you literally can't learn. But I'm gonna be me, so please be who you are. It's something that's effortless and it shouldn't be hard. I said I'm gonna be me, so please be who you are. But as I'm blessed with the privilege, they're still left with the scars. Come on. Hip hop started off on a block that I've never been to. To counteract the struggle that I've never even been through. If I think I understand, it's because I flow too. That means I'm not keeping it true. Nope. Hip hop started off on a block that I've never been to. To counteract a struggle that I've never even been through. If I think I understand just because I flow too, that means I'm not keeping it true. I'm not keeping it true. Parked it, zipped up my parka, joined the procession of marchers. In my head, like, is this awkward? Should I even be here marching? Thinking that they can't, how can I breathe? Thinking that they chant, what do I sing? I wanna take a stance, cause we are not free. And then I thought about it, we are not we. Am I on the outside looking in? Or am I on the inside looking out? Is it my place to get my two cents? Or should I stand on the side and shut my mouth? No justice, no peace. Okay, I'm saying that. They're chatting out Black Lives Matter. But I don't say it back. Is it okay for me to say? I don't know, so I watch and stand in front of a line of police that look the same as me. Only separated by a badge, a baton, a can, a mace, a mask, a shield, a gun with gloves on hands that gives an alibi in case somebody dies behind a bullet that flies that other nine takes another child's life on sight. <laughs>
doing here? There you go again. Co-op. Ben, think about it. You've exploited and stolen the music, the moment, the magic, the passion, the fashion you toy with. The culture was never yours to make better. Your Miley, your Elvis, your Iggy Azalea. Make it so plastic, you've heisted the magic. You've taken the drums and the accent you wrapped in your brand of hip hop. It's so fascist and backwards. The Grandmaster Flash will go slapping you. All the money that you made off the water down. Pop version of the culture, pal. Go buy longer with your house. Get a fence keep people out it's all stolen anyway can't you see that now there's no way for you to even that out you could join the march protest scream and shout get on twitter hashtag to seem like you're down but they see through it all people believe you now you said publicly rest in peace mike brown you speak about equality but do you really mean it are you marching for freedom or when it's convenient want people to like you want to be accepted that's probably why you are out here protesting don't think for a second you don't have incentive is this about you well then what's your intention What's the intention? What's the intention? Take a picture, but seriously, my little girl loves you. She's always singing, I'm gonna pop some tags. I'm not kidding, my oldest, you even got him to go thrifting. In one love, oh my God, that song, brilliant. Their aunt is gay. When that song came out, my son told his whole class. He was actually proud, that's so cool. Look what you're accomplishing. Even an old mom like me likes it cause it's positive. You're the only hip hop that I let my kids listen to. Cause you get it, all that negative stuff, it isn't cool. Yeah, yeah, like all the guns and the drugs, the and the, and the gangs and the thugs, even the protest outside. So sad and so dumb, if a cop pulls you over, it's your fault if you run. Huh? So they feel that the police are discriminating against the, the black people? I have an advantage. Why? Because I'm white? <laughs> what? <laughs> no. It's like more people like nowadays are just It's like this is the generation to be offended by everything. The Black Lives Matter thing is a reason to take arms up over perceived slights. I'm, I'm not prejudiced. I just... 99% of the time across this country, the police are doing their job properly. Damn. A lot of opinions. A lot of confusion. A lot of resentment. Some of us scared. Some of us defensive. And most of us aren't even paying attention. It seems like we're more concerned with being called racist than we actually are with racism. I've heard that silence is an action, and God knows that I've been passive. What if I actually read an article, actually had a dialogue, actually looked at myself, actually got involved, if I'm aware of my privilege and do nothing at all? I don't know. Hip-hop has always been political, yes. It's the reason why this music connects. So what the f*** has happened to my voice if I stay silent when black people are dying and I'm trying to be politically correct? I can book a whole tour, sell out the tickets, rap entrepreneur, build his own business. If I'm only in this for my own self-interest, not the culture that gave me a voice to begin with, then this isn't authentic. It is just a gimmick. The DIY underdog, so independent, but the one thing the American dream fails to mention is I was many steps ahead to begin with. 
skin matches the hero Lightness, the image America feels safe with my music and their systems And it's suited me perfect The role I fulfilled it And if I'm the hero, you know who gets cast as the villain White supremacy isn't just a white dude in Idaho White supremacy protects the privilege I hold White supremacy is the soil, the foundation, the cement, and the flag that flies outside of my home. White supremacy is our country's lineage, designed for us to be indifferent. My success is the product of the same system that let off Darren Wilson guilty. We want to dress like, walk like, talk like, dance like, yet we just stand by. We take all we want from black culture, but will we show up for black lives? We want to dress like, walk like, talk like, dance like, Yet we just stand by. We take all we want from black culture, but will we show up for black lives? Black Lives Matter, to use an analogy, is like if, if there was a subdivision and a house was on fire, the fire department wouldn't show up and start putting water on all the houses because all houses matter. They would show up and they would turn their water on the house that was burning because that's the house that needs the help the most. My generation's taking on the torch of a very age-old fight for black liberation, but also liberation for everyone. Injustice anywhere is still injustice everywhere. The best thing white people can do is talk to each other. Having those very difficult, very painful conversations with your parents, with your family members. I think one of the critical questions for white people in this society is what are you willing to risk? What are you willing to sacrifice?